welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. chapter 14, um, and we're reading verses 1 to 11 today. All right. So one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? or not, but they remained silence. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone into a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. All right, hey guys, I'm Mike, one of the leaders here, and uh, man, it's just been amazing to sing about the Spirit today, to talk about uh, expectation today, and we're in this series where... Uh, it's leading to, it's, it's called Welcome Home, so it's leading to a place. And we started out with Welcome Healing, went into Welcome Forgiveness, Welcome Abundance, Welcome Perspective, and today we're talking about Welcome Expectation. And what we're trying to do in this series is, how, I'm, I'm trying to help us see that sharing our faith is actually something natural and normal and, and exciting and fun, and we get to welcome people into these spaces that we've actually experienced with Jesus. And, and so a lot of times when we share our faith and we hear the word evangelism, it, it makes us shudder, and, and we kind of like back off from it. But when we share our faith, a lot of times we, we, get, we also get like apprehensive and, and we get um, uh, all, all, all tense. And, and that's because we, a lot of times we just go with beliefs, right? We're just trying to say, and they need to believe what I believe. And we, all we do is communicate up here. We communicate beliefs. And we miss what we actually are, are inviting people into. And so that's why we started with saying, we're not inviting people into knowing that Jesus is this. We're inviting people into healing, knowing that, that this experience with Jesus, right? And, and today we're going to talk about how your expectation of God is directly proportional to your experience with God. Following me there? Your expectation of God is directly proportional to your experience with God. So if you are walking with the Lord, if you're walking with the Spirit, the the New Testament talks about this a lot, walking in step with the Spirit, being with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. If If we're walking in step with the Spirit, 
your experience with the Spirit is going gonna, is gonna to be directly proportional to your expectation of what he's going to do. Okay? So when you share your faith, you should expect things to happen. You should expect the Spirit to move. And, and, and all this is, guys, is, is sharing who you are. So this, this past week, and, and I do this uh, around the city, uh, I, when we talk about domains of society, you saw that new Common Post uh, announcement, and, and at our church at Trinity Life, we talk about, uh, we went through our DNA, right? Kingdom Disciples Society Church. We are kingdom disciples who engage society, and out of that arises the church. And as we engage society, what we try to do as a church is push you forward in your domain. And, and a domain is basically, there's, I don't know, eight or nine of them. Uh, it's economics, governance, education, medical, uh, communication, there's, there's a few others, agriculture, uh, and we all operate in one of these domains. And so for me, uh, and, and note, I didn't say the church. The church is not a domain of society. The church, us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are in those domains. We're scattered in those domains. So you are meant to influence. Remember, that's our theme for the year here at Trinity Life, is influencer. You are meant to influence. And, and as we recognize that we're part of the church, uh, operating on the grid of society, that we're just kingdom disciples, we are going to influence. And, and part of what we want to see happen this year is, is a move from being an individual to an influencer, right? Like, a lot of us try to operate as individuals in individual spheres in, in, a, in, in your job, and that's particular to you. But guys, we are connected. Like, we are, we are all connected in the body of Christ. That's why we talk about body life. We're connected as a body of Christ, and we are all in those domains together as the church. Like, that, there's so much power in that. And so let's move from individual to influencer. We are all meant to influence together, and that builds on each other. And so for me, um, this isn't my, I don't view this as my domain, right? Like a lot of people, a lot of people have no idea what I do on a daily basis. I had no idea what someone who leads a church does on a, on a daily basis until I started doing this, actually, and no one told me. Um, I just thought this is what the guy did or whoever did when they were up here and, you know, they worked 30, 30 minutes a week and that was, that was kind of it. Um, I had no idea what, what that involved. So if you ever want to know, just, just come ask. Uh, but uh, part, of, part of what I do is try to engage in, in my domain. And I, and I view my domain as, as in the, well, we would call economics the business sector, the, the entrepreneurial sector. Like, we, we started this church. We started the new comma. So, like, like, we view ourselves as entrepreneurs. So whenever I'm in a coffee shop, for instance, or a small restaurant or small business, I want to meet the owner. I want to meet the entrepreneur. And, and so I, I met a couple of those this week, and those kind of developed into other, other meetings and had a meeting with, with an entrepreneur who owns a coffee shop uh, this week. And... She has no idea, she has no idea what, what I do. We just connected over entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial mindset. We connected over being in the corporate environment before. We connected over being in advertising before. We connected over uh, having business degrees, all that. And then, and then we met for coffee and started talking about how we influence. Again, she has no idea what I do, how I influence. She has no, not yet. Um, but as the conversation goes, Guess what I get to do? I get to share my life with her. 
because right? she's interested. Right? She's interested that we have a similar path, and she's interested how it's worked its way out in my life, and I get to share my life. Well, do you know what Paul says about your life in Colossians? In Colossians 3, he says, your life is hidden in Christ Jesus. And actually, it's not just hidden in Christ. Christ, the very next verse, he says, Christ is your life. So when you share your life, guess what you get to do? You get to share Christ. You get to share Jesus. And so sharing our faith isn't that difficult. We make it so much more difficult because we think we're just sharing beliefs. How about you just share your life? You know, if you're married in here, you probably talk about your spouse to other people. <laughs> Sat says, mm -mm, no. <laughs> Charmaine, you can hit him. Uh, if you have kids in here, you probably talk about your kids, right? If, if you're a student in here, you may talk about your, your friends and your siblings and, and your parents. I still love talking about my parents. Like, I, I love my parents. They're, they're great, and I talk about them a lot. Uh, like, we talk about the people we love. We talk about the people that have made us who we are. We talk about, about things that, have, uh, that are a part of our lives. But when it comes to Jesus, we're like, ugh, I don't, I don't know. But if you've experienced Jesus then it shouldn't be that difficult. If your experience with God is rich, it'll just overflow out of you. And so your expectation of God to move, of God to do anything, is directly proportional to your experience with God. Okay, And that's what we're trying to get you to see throughout this entire series, that sharing your faith is actually pretty, for a follower of Jesus, it should be pretty natural and pretty normal. It should, it should just come out of us, overflow out of us, because God is working in your heart. He's doing something. You have stepped forward into healing. You've received his forgiveness. You know there's a life of abundance. He's shifted and transformed and changed your perspective, and, and he's given you expectation, because he says, look at your experience with me. Now you should expect me to do things, and you should step out in faith. Right? That's, that's pretty amazing, right? And how, how we can influence our neighborhoods, our, our workplaces, our families, our friends, our schools, all these things by just being children of light, by walking as children of light, as Paul says in, in, in Ephesians. Right? You walk into places of darkness and you bring light just because you're there. Like, we get to use that for God's glory. So um, my, uh, this week, it's still winter, right? I thought spring was coming, but like it's snowing right now. What is today? March? Is it April yet? It's tomorrow's April, right? This is no April Fool's joke. Like this is actually happening. Um, we saw, I saw flowers this week, or like buds this week, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. But no, it was a mean trick. But um, our pilot lights. So we have a furnace in the home. And it's still cold, right? Our, our, our pilot light went out this week. And uh, I've, I've, if you guys know how furnace works, there's, there's, like a, there's flames and a boiler, and it, it pushes the air through. And, and I, in our place, we have, we have radiators, and, and so uh, it, it just pushes the air through, through all these things. Uh, well, I've, I've lit a pilot light that's gone out once or twice in my life. Uh, but... This furnace, when I went down to look, like, I noticed it got cold, and I was like, uh. uh and when I went to go light this one, 
This furnace was like built in the 1740s or something. Like, I mean, it was, I was like, should I put wood in here? Like, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what I'm looking at right now. And, and so I, I'm, I'm looking at it, and I, I was going to call the landlord, but I was like, ah, I think I can do this. And um, <laughs> I put, yeah, I don't, <laughs> so I was like, I think I can do this. And I look at it, I'm trying to search for, for the whole thing. And, and normally on a furnace, it'll have, like, if you're familiar with the grill, it'll have, like, an, an ignition switch, right, where you push, and you're like, shh, shh, shh. Uh, like, it releases the, like, and the ignition switch on a grill releases the propane, right? So here, same thing, you're, like, releasing the gas. So I'm like, I think that's it. It's like, I mean, it's really old, guys. Uh, and, and so I, I kind of turn it, and I push it, and I don't hear anything. Like, there's no click. And I'm kind of expecting a click, but I don't know why, because I'm just thinking of grill and barbecue in my mind. So I push it, and nothing happens. I'm like, maybe I should hold it. So I push it, nothing happens. So I call, I call um, my dad, and, and I'm trying to show him like with a flashlight and FaceTime, and he's like, Ugh. he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, ah, be safe, it's, it's gas. And, and he's like, I, I don't know. And he wasn't sure, which made me unsure. So I was like, well, okay, thanks for nothing. So then I, like, I hang up and I call Missy's dad. <laughs> just get a second opinion. And he's like, I'm not sure. I think what you're looking at is right, but I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. And, but he's like, you should try to light it. He's like, push that again. So I push the ignition switch, and he's like, try holding it. So I hold it. And I was like, oh, I hear something. I heard gas. I'm like, oh, cool. And, and he's like, yeah, try to light it. And I was like, I told him, I was like, you can have all my stuff if I die right now. <laughs> and... He kind of nervously laughed. <laughs> I was like, that was a joke. I'm not going to die, right? <laughs> um, so I, I see, I know where the pilot light is, so I, I stick the, the thing in there to light it. I have a little, like, barbecue lighter, right? So I stick it in there to light it, and it lights, the, the pilot light lights. And I'm like, oh, sweet. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Uh, and I put the phone down, and I turn the pilot light switch to on, right? Because the ignition, so I turn it to on, and a huge flame came out, and if you look at my hand, it took away like all the hair on my on my fingers. Um, I was like, I'm glad my face wasn't down there, right? Because the gas had been sitting in there, like I had been releasing the gas. And right when I turned it on and lit it, it like it had this huge flame, and it singed. And I was like, something's something's burning. It's like a cartoon, like something's on fire. It's my tail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it, I had the girls like smell my fingers and stuff because it smelled, it smelled horrible. Um, <laughs> uh, that's not relevant to the story, but it was just funny. Um, and, and, uh, and guys, that, so now let's bring it to us, okay? The, the image of God in you is like a pilot light. You have this in you. Right, this pilot light, now the analogy is not completely, completely good. Uh, I won't completely equate because your pilot light never goes out. Like, you have the image of God in you. We've been all created like that. So we all have this like little pilot light, and it's a little light, I mean, it's a little flame, like this big, that lights the big flame, right? And, and it's just, it's there in us. And we're singing these songs, right? Spirit, breathe on us. We're singing, we're singing, Spirit, have your way here. Come have your way. And... All that is gas. 
right? Like, like we're, we're the, the spirit, the Bible talks about the spirit, like, you know, we're singing this song, like, breathe on us, and, and it sounds kind of weird, because you're like, ah, like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I had a friend growing up, her breath always smelled like pickles. And, and you knew, why did it smell like pickles? Because well, she loved pickles. She always ate pickles. And so you knew what was in her. But when Jesus breathes on you, what is in him? What do you get out of that? Life. When, when, when God creates us in, uh, in the beginning, he breathes the breath of life into us. He breathes the spirit into us. Uh, in, in Ezekiel, when you have this valley of dry bones, uh, the, the wind comes, the spirit comes. It's the same word in, in, the, in the Hebrew there comes and it breathes life into these dead, dry bones. Jesus, at the end of John, he breathes the spirit onto the disciples. Do you, do you see that? Like the breath of God is so powerful. And so when the breath of God comes and that, when that gas comes, it ignites a flame, right? It, it's so powerful. When the spirit shows up, when when we are filled with the Spirit, Paul says we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. He says, yes, in Ephesians 1, you have been indwelt with the Spirit. You have a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance that is the Spirit of God in you. It's almost like this pilot light, right? It's, it's this deposit within you. But he says, guess what, in Ephesians 5, you got to keep on filling yourself with the Spirit. Why is that? Because the cold comes and it extinguishes that stuff. Right? Circumstances come, and, and it quenches the spirit in our lives. Your sin comes. That sin that you just can't get over, that sin that you deal with all the time, that sin that keeps on distracting, that sin that keeps on making you stumble, it keeps on coming, and it quenches the spirit in your life. Your idols of success, your idols of, of family, your idols of relationship, your need to be affirmed, your need for people to say you are worthy, your need for people to say, wow, good job. Like all that is quenching the, your identity in Christ and, and, and when, uh, when that uh, pilot light is there, there's no gas. Because you've quenched it and you've allowed the world to, to take that away from you. But when we are in the word, when we're in prayer, when we're in community, when we are saying spirit fill us, he can come in and ignite something, right? He can come in and ignite this flame that influences. And guess what? When, <laughs> when he does that, it's not an unpleasing aroma. It doesn't smell like burnt hair on your fingers. It's a pleasing aroma. It's the fragrance of Christ in your life that draws people to him, right? How amazing is that? That's what I mean when I say experience with God. And if you have this rich experience with God, your expectation of that flame to burst out is gonna be there. And when you share your faith, when you say, yeah, you know, when I was talking to this lady this week, uh, I didn't take her through the Romans road. I didn't say, you know, you're a sinner, you need Jesus, he came to save you, this guy who died on the cross 2,000 years ago, his blood washes your sins, and do you want to get saved today? Like, that's, that's not how it went. It went me telling her how Jesus has shaped and formed my life through, through all the paths, through how he shaped and formed my family and my marriage, how he shaped and formed everything that I do and, and why we moved our family here, why we started a church, why we started our work in St. Jamestown. It went through all of that because Jesus informs all of that. My experience with God is through every one of those spheres. So it just came out naturally. 
I didn't have to apologize for it. It wasn't awkward. It was just me sharing my life, and she wanted to hear what my life was about. Right? And she resonated with it so much. So um, that's what we're trying to get us, get us into here. And, and now in this passage then, in all these passages, we see Jesus doing this around meals. Right? This is a powerful tool that Jesus uses. He, he sits down with people around a meal, and he shares, and you see this all through Luke, where he has, where he has uh, seminal moments where he's sitting around a meal, and he's sharing about who he is. So this is one of those. And it says here in verse 1, so we're just going to walk through the passage here. It says here in verse 1, uh, one Sabbath. Okay, actually, let's, let's stop there. So the Sabbath is, is the holiest day of the week for them. Right? I remember the Pharisees, so this is a Pharisee who's invited, it's a ruler of the Pharisees who's invited Jesus to his house, and this is the holiest day for them. Remember the Pharisees, their goal was to purify Israel, right? There had been that period of silence between the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament when there was no prophet, no word. Jesus shows up on the scene in, in, uh, in Matthew, and it starts to change everything. The kingdom starts to be ushered in because he's preaching the kingdom, and, but they haven't heard from anybody. So during that, that 400 years or so, uh, the Pharisees rise up. And they take the law, they take God's instruction, which is good, which Jesus actually fulfills, not abolishes. They take that law, though, and they add a whole bunch of other laws to it, like thousands. They add a whole bunch of things. So they say, yes, we're supposed to keep the Sabbath. That's good. But this is how we do it. Right? We're supposed to do it this way, and if you don't do it this exact way, if you don't wash everything this exact way, if you don't walk this exact way, if you don't do it this exact way, then you have not kept it holy. And so the Pharisees, they're like the religious rite of the day, and they'd added all this stuff to it. And, and Jesus is coming in, and they don't like Jesus, because guess what? He doesn't keep the Sabbath like they keep it. This is actually the fourth instance in Luke where some controversy happens around the Sabbath. So the, the first one is in chapter 6. And it, it says here in, in 6.1, it says here that on a Sabbath, while he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing this? It's not lawful. Jesus said, have you not read what David did? And so he points to an Old Testament account and he says, he says, basically, they did way, he's like, David did way worse than this, almost. They, um, they were hungry, they entered the house of God, the temple, they took and ate the bread of presence, which was supposed to only be for the priests, for the Levites. Um, and, and he gave it to those who, was with him, who were with him also. And this is what Jesus says in verse 5, he says, to the Pharisees, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself here, is Lord of the Sabbath. So here we have the Pharisees, and they are being controlled by the Sabbath, and Jesus is saying, no, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. Do you, do you follow me here? And they let the Sabbath start to control everything they're doing. And then the second instance, right after that, verse 6 through 11, it says, on another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath 
so they might find a reason to accuse him. Jesus, they're watching him to see if he's gonna mess up, he see if he's gonna heal on the Sabbath. Isn't that so twisted? That healing on the Sabbath is now against the law, according to the Pharisees. Like that, they've twisted something there really badly. Sorry about all that banging, guys. There's like a ghost of Jarvis. No, I don't, it's just the radiators, yeah, I think. <laughs> it's a little creepy. And if the lights go out later, they're on a timer. So that's not, those are not related, okay? Uh, so I don't remember if we reset them before or not. Uh, Lucas, do you remember? Okay, I'll, I'll see you. <laughs> okay. Uh, where was I? Verse 8. So they're trying to accuse him, right? He says, but he knew their thoughts. Jesus did. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you guys, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? He looks at the man and says, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But the Pharisees were filled with fury, anger, and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Like, they had become so twisted. And I won't go into this, but, because we've gone into this in the past sermons, but think about that for us, guys. Those who call ourselves followers of Jesus, those who... Those of us who've been following Jesus for, for a while now, um, think about how you are pharisaical in some things. And I think two sermons or three sermons ago, we, we really nailed down on it. But uh, we are so like this in so many regards, right? Um, in so many ways. And one example I talked about before is we've just burned bridges with other communities. We burn bridges with the LGBTQ community. We burn bridges with the Muslim community. We burn bridges with anybody who's not like us. Or like we think we should be, but really we're not like that ideal either, right? And it's, it's, it's pretty pharisaical. So the Pharisees are, are actually doing this. And then a third instance is in the chapter right before this, in chapter 13, it's a woman who comes into the, into the synagogue as Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath, and she has a disabling spirit that she's had for 18 years that causes her to be like bent over where she can't stand straight up. And Jesus sees her, he calls her over, and he says, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. What's impure about that? Right, like, he's not working, right? So, like, that's kind of the argument here, but he's not working. He's, he just laid her, his hands on her and said some words, and and, uh, and she was made straight, and she glorified God. But they are angry again with them. And he says to them in verse 15, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? You see what he did there? He's like, you treat your animals better than you treat another human being. You untie your ox and your donkey to let them have water and let them feed. 
But this woman who's been bound up for 18 years, you say, oh, she can wait another day. It should not be done on this day. And he points out the ridiculous nature of that. And he says, and it says, uh, loose commentaries, they're all put to shame. And all the people around rejoice at the glorious things. So now, all that is leading into this, verse, verse uh, 14, uh, verse 1 in chapter 14. So one Sabbath, now we're thinking, okay, Jesus had a lot of things happen on the Sabbath so far, where they, like, their fury is growing, their anger is growing, and he's been healing people on the Sabbath. So he's already done this, guys. He's healed a couple people on the Sabbath. And so he doesn't care, right? He's, he's trying to show them something better than what they're living in. And so he goes to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. It's funny that the Pharisees keep on inviting them, inviting him, even though they know they're going to look like fools at the end of it. But they keep on doing that. And Jesus keeps on going. Why? Because he loves them. He's not trying to condemn them. They're already condemned. He's not trying to judge them. They're, they're doing a pretty good job of, of doing that themselves. He is loving them, guys. He's, he's trying to dine with them and show them a more excellent way, as Paul would say. And it says the ruler of the Pharisees, they were, uh, they were watching him carefully. They were cautious. They were wary. Right? They were, they were watching him carefully. How many of you treat God like that? How many of you, that is your experience with the Spirit? That is your experience with God? Where you're like, ah, I'm... I'm I'm open to the Spirit, but I'm, I'm cautious. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm cautious when it comes to the Spirit of God. I hear a lot of people say things like that. Like, like yeah, I, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just cautious. That's exactly what the Pharisees are doing here. They're cautious. They're watching him carefully. Because they're like, I don't know what he's going to do. And I don't know if I'm going to agree with what he's going to do. And I don't know if I'm, gonna, if I'm open to what he's going to do. Remember a couple, a couple Sundays ago I said, do you even want healing? And we talk about welcoming healing. We get to welcome people into that. And we say we want that. But do you really? Because you know what it's going to cost? It's going to cost you to sacrifice something. It's going to cost you to let whatever that is that God wants to heal in you go. You're going to have to let that sin go that fulfills your lustful intentions. You're going to have to let that sin go that fulfills your greed. You're going to have to let that, that desire go that you think is going to fulfill you. You're going to have to let that relationship go that you thought was going to complete you. Like, that's how we receive healing. You've got to let things go. And so do you really want to step into that? Do you really want to step into healing? Or are you cautious? Are you like, oh, I'm watching God carefully. If he wants what I want, then I think I can step into that. And, and, uh, and I hear a lot of people say this, too, that I just want God to tell me what to do. I just want him to show me what the next step is. No, you don't. Nobody wants that. Do you like it when your parents tell you to do that? My kids don't. I didn't. I don't want my parents controlling my life. But, but then you say you want a God that does that? You want God to tell you exactly what that next step is? Odds are he's telling you what it is, and you're not going that direction. Odds are he's already told you, and it didn't line up with your desires. And you said, yeah, I think that way, but I like this way better. And you step this way instead of this way. And so stop, stop saying, I just want God to tell me what to do, and just do what he's told you to do. And here, we have these Pharisees, and Jesus has repeatedly told them, 
what to do. He's like shamed them publicly, right? Like he has publicly humiliated and they, and they still don't get it. And they still kind of say, uh, we don't agree with, we don't agree with this. And so when it comes to the spirit, guys, don't be cautious, just be open. When it comes to Jesus, don't be cautious, just be open. When it comes to hearing from the Father, don't be cautious, just be open. Because guess what? It is going to look foolish. And that's what we're scared about, isn't it? Paul says, those of us who follow Jesus and preach the gospel, it's foolishness to the world. It's foolishness. They say, why would you give your life to that? Why would you do that? Why would you, well, before we moved, people said, like, that's foolish, it's crazy. You spent 30 years of your life in school. Like, you, you went the highest level of education and you finally got what you, what you wanted or what they thought I wanted. And now you're gonna give it all up and go raise money and, and beg people for money? Like, it was foolishness, right? And, and guys, following Jesus often looks like that. It looks like foolishness. When the spirit comes and that flame comes out, it looks like foolishness. I felt like a fool. My father-in-law was on the phone. I was like, I hope he didn't see that. <laughs> like, the phone was on the furnace, and he, I didn't have it right here. So, like, I didn't say anything about it because I felt foolish. And oftentimes, it looks like that to the world. It just looks like foolishness. And we're supposed to step out in faith. And we're so afraid that the Spirit is going to come, and he's going to do something, and we're going to look crazy. Guys, that, that's pretty good. Jesus looks pretty crazy here. He looks... He looks out of control to these guys. Like they, they're like, they're so cautious and so careful. And so they're watching him. And behold, remember what I said about this a couple weeks ago. When you see that word behold in the scriptures, it's like the spirit smacks you in the face. It's like, wake up, behold, something, something's about to happen. And behold, there is a man before him who had dropsy. Now, dropsy is, is like this old term for edema. And edema is this, this condition where uh, you f- like things fill with fluid, so like your lungs can have edema, your 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 body can. John, doc, Dr. John, is this okay? He's, he says I'm good. I'm um, right. Like, uh, and and this isn't to be. This isn't. This part isn't to be funny, guys. But think about uh, think about the Michelin Man, the tire. Like that's like if you want a picture in your mind, the the tire guy. You guys, do we have Michelin here. Okay, I think about that because like. Um, a lot of times this happens from the waist down too, like your legs will get full of fluid and water where you can actually push on someone's leg and it can cause a, a divot, a depression, right? Because they're just filled so much with water, the feet, the hands. And, and so this is what the guy is. That's why it's called dropsy, right? Like everything is like, is like dropping. So he's standing there and, and think about how, how this looks. They're, they're in a ruler of the Pharisee's house. Where'd this guy come from? Like, why is he even there? He wasn't invited, right? Like, why is this guy there? There's different theories on this. But remember, back in that day, when there were parties and when there were festivities and stuff, the, the poor, the oppressed uh, would, would come at the end to try to collect the leftovers and the crumbs, right? So this could have been one of the reasons he was there. There's another. Some people think the Pharisees, like, dropped him there to trick Jesus again. Uh, we don't know exactly, but whatever it is, He's there, and he's expecting something to happen. Why would he expect something to happen? Because he's seen it happen. He's seen Jesus healed a withered man's hand on the Sabbath. He's seen him release this woman of a physical and spiritual ailment on the Sabbath. He's seen it happen before, guys. 
He's, we've, we've seen Jesus, and, and this isn't just on the Sabbath, he's been healing across the countryside. Like, and this guy shows up with expectation, and the Pharisees, they're watching Jesus carefully, and their expectation is Jesus is gonna mess up. He's gonna stumble. And it's funny because their experience with him is, he doesn't do that. <laughs> but they're still blinded by it, right? His ex- their experience of him is, he's gonna make us look like idiots. Like, they should expect that, but they, they still think they're gonna catch him in, in, in something. And this guy shows up, he has dropsy. Behold, he's there, and he's expecting Jesus to move. And Jesus responded to the lawyers. Remember, lawyers are like the experts in the law. Uh, and, and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And he asked them that question. Should I do this or not? And they remain silent. They don't say anything. So he takes the man and heals him and sends him away, which seems like pretty, when you read that words, when you read those words on the page, it seems pretty like dismissive. Um, our experience with Jesus is not like that, right? So when you read those words, it shouldn't be like, oh, you're healed, get out of here. Like, don't, don't read that into it. We see Jesus throughout this book, loving, compassionate, merciful. So we know that, that we have to put that in, these words in that context. So he took him, he heals him, the guy goes away. And then he looks back at the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, and he says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they couldn't say anything. They couldn't reply to these things. And Jesus, so Jesus here gives them a picture. Remember, remember what dropsy is, okay? Remember what, what this, this condition this guy has, this, this edema is. It's, it's filling with liquid, with water, right? There's liquid filling around him, and then he, Jesus gives him this image. If you had a brother, a, a, a person, a son, he says, or an ox or an animal, so he even says an animal, something of value to you, fall into a well surrounded by liquid, surrounded by water in this well, drowning, would you not do something about it, even if it was the Sabbath? And here you have a man drowning in his own liquid, and you are trying to trap me and say I should not heal on the Sabbath. But if you had someone fall in a well, of course you would rescue them. Like This is a rhetorical question for Jesus, because everyone knows the answer is, well, yeah, of course we would. And they don't say anything, but they're guilty. And so instead of trapping Jesus, Jesus traps them in a way. Guys, there's people with dropsy, edema in a well all around us. And they're just struggling. And they're drowning. And they feel like everything's collapsing on them. They feel like they they can't get out and... They need us to reach a hand down there and pull them out of that well. And all of us know someone, at least one person in our lives, that is like that. And, and guys, I'm not talking about someone who's like really struggling in, struggling in life. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people like that too. I'm just talking about people who are without Jesus. They're in this well. They need healing. They need forgiveness. They need abundance. They need Jesus. And if Christ is your life, then it's your job to share that life. Just like you would anything else. It's your job to share that out. And so do it. If you want to follow Jesus, 
that comes with the territory. And guess what, guys? Our faithfulness in that is not determined by the outcome. Because it's not always going to be a favorable outcome. More times than not, it's going to not be favorable, right? Not immediately. And we want immediate gratification, right? We want us to share our faith and someone to drop it down on their knees and say, I need Jesus. Well, I don't know if I've ever seen that happen in my life. There's people with the gift of evangelism where, like, they breathe on people and people are like, yeah, I need Jesus. Uh, but that's not me. I've never seen that happen. Uh, and we have to be content with, you know, they used to say that it takes seven steps, seven exposures to Christ in some form or fashion for someone to come to the Lord. I would say that's probably now like 15 steps. Uh, it's, it's probably greater than, than seven, but you get the picture. There's, there's steps in there. And we have to be content with whatever step we are in there, in that process. You may be the first, there's the lights, I told you. I told you, but the banging stopped, so you know they're not related. <laughs> now, it really is a timer, guys. Uh, we haven't figured it out yet. So, uh, you know, uh, you have to be content with whatever step you are in that process, because you may be the first step. You may never see the fruition of the seventh or the 15th, whatever it is, whatever the ending step is. You may never see the fruition of it. You may never see the fruit, the production of the Spirit of Christ in their lives. But we get to trust that the Spirit is working, that the Lord is working in their lives. So, Jesus then tells them this parable. And he basically gives this picture of, of this wedding feast, and I won't rehash it because Michelle read it, but someone's sitting, someone's sitting at a place of honor, and he looks at them, and he's like, you guys love honor. You guys love to sit in the places of honor. And he says, what if... You sit in a seat, and then someone comes in who's more honorable than you, and you get moved down. Wouldn't that be pretty humiliating, Jesus is saying? So why don't you take the lowest place and expect and create this expectation to possibly be moved up? See, guys, the key to expectation is humility. The key to expectation is humility. The Pharisees were expecting something, but they weren't humble. They were proud. They were arrogant. They're like, we're the ones who are pure. We're going to usher in the, the kingdom and the Messiah. We're going to purify Israel. We're going to purify individuals and, and, and homes and families. And we are the standard. And so when Jesus showed up, there was no expectation that the Messiah was going to do anything for them, even if they believed he was the Messiah. They had no expectation for that because they were too proud. They were too blinded by their pride to see that. And Jesus gives them this parable and says, the key to expectation is humility. This is like going to a, a, a Raptors game and seeing empty seats down there and be like, hey, I can get those seats. And, or, the, or a Jays game. This happens probably more to a Jays game, eh, hey, Curtis? <laughs> and you go in those seats and you're like, hey, people are late, so I'm just going to take these seats. And then, you know, fourth inning in, people come for those seats and you're like, uh. You know, and it's, it's like, yeah, yeah, these aren't my seats. It's, you you got to go back up there. Uh, and that's the picture Jesus is giving us. And, and we love to take the important seat. We love it. And he says, if you're going to expect, and, and you may say, oh, well, I would never do something that brash. That doesn't mean you don't love it, and you don't want it, and you don't desire it. Does that make sense? Just because you don't actually do the action of taking the important seat, you may still sit in the lowest seat like, oh, I can't wait till I get up there. That's still not humility. Right? We need to 
Here, here's the thing. I've heard this C.S. Lewis quote before, and I half agree with it. He's, <laughs> that sounds really bad because he's like a brilliant man. But C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. You guys heard that quote before? Yeah? It sounds good, right? It sounds, it sounds really good. Uh, uh, but it's half right because guess what, guys? You should think less of yourself. All right. Now, I'm not saying you beat yourself up. I'm not saying all those things, but Jesus gives us a model for thinking less of ourselves because our identity is not in us, but in Christ. And it's also thinking of ourselves less often, which we tend to think of ourselves more often. So that's why I say he's, he's half right. But let's not, take the let's not like take the teeth out of the gospel there, right? So here's, here's my point. Philippians 2. Jesus does this for us. This is Philippians chapter, and he tells us, we're, and Paul's writing here, and he says, we're supposed to model this and look like this. So he says here, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The overwhelming theme in, in those two verses is, is unity. Guys, when's the last time you had encouragement in Christ? Comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection, sympathy. Are those things true of your experience with God? If those are true of your experience with God, then you have a different expectation of what God can do in someone else's life, in your life, in, in this church. But if your experience with God does not look like that, there's not something off with God, there's something off with you. There's something off in your sin. There's something off in the idols in your heart. There's something off in your perspective. There's something off in you maybe being cautious and apprehensive about what God wants. He says this is what it should look like, guys. You should have encouragement and love and affection and sympathy and joy and unity. And he says in verse 3, this is where the humility comes in, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is the part where I said I didn't agree with C.S. Lewis. Like, count others more significant than yourselves. So yeah, actually think of yourself less. Count others more significant. But he says, this doesn't mean you neglect your own interests, right? Verse 4, don't neglect your own interests, but also just remember you're, you're there for the interests of others too. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Guys, this is your mind. This is what we're supposed to have in Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why would he say even death on a cross? Because that is a curse, because it is public humiliation, because it's, it means that he was a criminal. Like all those things, he took on all of our sin, and therefore, because of all that, 
God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To whose glory? To the glory of God the Father. You see there how humility breeds expectation and expectation breeds exaltation. But not your own. The glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't even do this for his own glory, guys. He did it for the glory of God the Father. And so when Jesus says to take that seat, that lowest seat of the table, it's not so that you get the glory when you get moved up. It's so that, it's so that God gets the glory. It's so that we can point people in the power of the Spirit to Jesus who points us to God the Father. That's a life of hearing, trusting, and obeying. That's a life where, where Jesus has breathed on us the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's a life that when Paul says, your life is hidden in Christ and your life is Christ, it looks like that. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, that Philippians 2 passage is, is what you've, you've agreed to, is what you've stepped into. That should be your experience with God. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, that can be your experience with God. That's what we want to invite you into. Healing, forgiveness, abundance, perspective, expectation, sympathy, love, unity, joy. Like those are things that are offered to us in Christ Jesus. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true, that it is, it is inerrant, that it is infallible. Thank you that it is authoritative for our lives, that you are sufficient, Jesus, that, that you are everything. Thank you that you gave your life for us. We celebrate you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus, only because you loved us first. There is nothing in us that could make us into, into anything good. You put the image of God in us, you put the spirit in us, and you ignite the flame in us. So we submit ourselves to you as a church to do that in our city and do that in this time. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca, or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.